Welcome to the McGuire Woods Edible Bites podcast. My name is Kate Hardy, and I'm here with my colleague, Royce Dubonnet, and we're bringing you edible bites of important information in the life sciences and cannabis industry. Royce and I are in the healthcare group for McGuire Woods, and we focus our practice on regulatory and transaction work, including working on cannabis, CBD, and other aspects of the food and drug industry. Royce? Nice to see you. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Kate. Great to see you today as well as we dive into this wonderful world of cannabis legalization and magic mushrooms or psilocybin in Oregon. Edible bites push it to the legal limit. As I said earlier, today's topics are marijuana, state of the state, psilocybin, the quiet storm, and we always finish these segments with food for thought. So moving on to uh, what happened in the recent election at the state level with marijuana? And importantly, we're not talking about hemp right now. Hemp is is still very active at the state level, regulated federally. Uh, what we're talking about right now is what happened to marijuana during the recent election. And a lot happened. Very conservative states, uh, such as Montana and South Dakota, passed recreational marijuana programs that legalized recreational use and also established decriminalization for possession. And in South Dakota, established a medical program for debilitating conditions. This is a continuation of the wave that we really have seen across multiple state jurisdictions across the United States for the continued legalization of marijuana and incorporating that into a taxable regulated system at the state level, which is designed to bring about opportunity for both local residents of the state, social equity applicants, and increased tax revenue in most instances. Arizona also allowed under Proposition 207 for the adult use of marijuana by persons over the age of 21. Their Department of Health and Human Services plans to develop rules to regulate as well. And in New Jersey, a unexpected latecomer to the game, Public Question 1 was approved to support the legalized possession and use of persons over 21 as well as the sale. With all of these recent legalizations, it's important to keep in mind that just because these measures passed does not mean everything is going to change overnight. Effective regulation at the state level of marijuana is a, is a process. And a lot of the newer states are going to have to look towards others like Colorado and California to figure out how best is it going to work for regulation within their state when are these programs going to come online? What is the bid process going to look like? How many applications are there going to be for both rec sales and uh, growth? And uh, what does the black market look like in that state? And will these new systems of regulation be able to fight and compete with the black market for marijuana? 
I, I think, are, go ahead, Kate. Thanks, Maurice. So these are new states that have come on and are getting into the marijuana game. And I think a lot of states are really interested in this because they're learning from some of the states that are already in it that this can generate a lot of money. You just talked about a whole bunch of different things that are really important about these programs, like the licenses, the social equity. Um, let's jump back for just a second and kind of tie that back to the handful of states that already have these programs in place, whether it's um, you know adult use or medical use marijuana. Um, what are some of the issues that have come up, you know, for the licensing schemes and other regulatory schemes that, you know, these new states are also going to have to be thinking about and anybody who's interested in getting in this state should be thinking about as well? Yeah, I mean, the, the first consideration is a business consideration. You know, what what does the law in the state look like to address issues such as bankruptcy, uh, contract? other basic business issues that you need to consider and what does the banking environment look like for the business. Second issue along the lines of the business considerations is what does the black market look like? Is there widespread adult use already? Is the black market very well developed? And will the new rules based on an initial review be able to allow a company to competitively compete, you know, against the black market. Some of the issues that we've seen, and I really believe for the most part, we have seen progress with the recreation and medical sides of cannabis at the state level. The metrics are out there that shows that it works if well-regulated. But some of the issues that we have seen have really been around the application process and the allocation of licenses, along with the taxation aspect. Some examples are, you know, are the licenses going to real social equity applicants? Is the license process addressing America's 40 plus year war on drugs? Do those candidates uh, that would qualify as social equity applicants actually get the licenses and how many licenses are available and what does that bid process look like? There are issues that have been raised in both Nevada and California about whether or not that bid process looked fair or whether or not there was impropriety involved in it. There are active federal investigations into that, as well as other states where losers in the bid process or people who did not get, get their licenses alleged that there was not a real metric followed in awarding the licenses. And, and we've seen this, you know, since government contracting began, you know, with the general service government, general services administration and other, you know, federal level entities that the bid process does matter greatly in how it is being run. And a lot of states that are new to this may not necessarily understand what a bid process looks like when the state's stakes are this high. Yeah, that, that's really key, Royce. And, and you and I have worked uh, with some of our colleagues at McGuire Woods Consulting on a lot of those licensure processes. I mean, it's, it's a lot. Uh, there's a lot of information required in those applications. And I think that's really key to be thinking about um, both in existing states and, you know, in these new states that are coming on board. 
And you, you mentioned one other thing that I think we should just touch on real quickly too, which is huge. Um, it's huge for people who want to get into this space. Uh, it's also really big for investors who are obviously seeing the growth potential, but that's banking. I mean, we know there's this federal safe banking act that's been bouncing around in Congress forever to make it legal to put money from these businesses in a bank. Some states have their own regulatory regime, but um, what do people do with some of this bank, these banking questions? Yeah, that's a great, great point there. Uh, you know, since cannabis begun, we really have seen a lot of the banking focused on uh, state level banks and the dependence on a state level banking infrastructure, such as in Colorado and California, have well established state level banking because federal banks, if you're, you know, uh, just an easy one, an FDIC insured bank, and you have to comply with all federal requirements, know your customer and AML anti money laundering becomes a little difficult when your business or your banking relationships involve those that are banking cannabis. There are rules out there that address how you can bank a marijuana company. And I, I should correct myself. When I say cannabis, there is a distinction between marijuana and hemp. Hemp is very much legal at the federal level. Uh, there is a process and an outline on how to bank hemp in a way for federal chartered banks to bank hemp. What we're talking about, the challenges here are when you bank marijuana, which is not federally recognized and requires a different risk analysis on the part of the bank. And those banks may not yet be established or have the policies and procedures in place to bank marijuana in Montana, Arizona, and South Dakota. That's in, in New Jersey. That's an assumption, but given the newness of the, the industry, Entrance into these jurisdictions may have to rely on established banks in Colorado and California who may want to take a risk on a banking relationship in a state where they may not have a branch. Yeah, that, that's great points and, and important things to be thinking about. We'll, uh, we'll have to dedicate another uh, episode of Edible Bites just to some of the, the banking and tax things that can come up in, in this space. Anything else, Royce, we should uh, touch on with the state cannabis laws that have been enacted during this recent um, election period? No, I, I think I'd also like to add a shout out to Mississippi, which also had legalization on the ballot and it did pass. Uh, we didn't cover Mississippi here just for lack of slide space, but we'll cover more in depth on Mississippi in another episode, as well as a little bit more details about how these states have progressed very important to remember, every bid process in every state is very different. The licensure regime is very different. Don't make assumptions that because you know how to bank, how, you, how to do cannabis or marijuana in one state, that that's going to be the rules of the road going forward. These states are going to be looking towards well-established states like Colorado and California, but doesn't mean that those rules are going to be applicable at the state level. It is a, a unique process in every state, and it's important to know uh, what the political relationships are, what the, 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 the climate looks like, and what does it mean to do business in that state before entering. Great, thank you. 
and we've got all of these questions and different things going on in these states for cannabis. And all of a sudden, there's now something new on the horizon for states to start looking into, um, and that is psilocybin. Um, yes. we'll, talk, we'll talk about this. Oregon passed a measure um, basically putting into place a whole regulatory scheme for psilocybin. But what what is that, Royce? I mean, is it magic mushrooms or is it is it something... What is, what is psilocybin and what do we need to know about that? Yeah, absolutely. Oregon Measure 109 was kind of like my uh, my horse in the Preakness here. I, I was really hoping Oregon Measure 109 passed. I was optimistic and it did. Psilocybin is the primary active ingredient found in, I think, 200 plus species of fungus uh, or mushrooms. And it, it has hallucinogenic effects on the on the mind and uh, can make you um, either, uh, you know, amongst experienced users have visions, but amongst the healthcare profession can perhaps cure treatment resistant depression, PTSD. Uh, it's been alleged uh, there are no indications for a product yet with psilocybin, but what Oregon Measure 109 really does is it, it says, you know, Oregon already has a, a well-established recreational medicinal cannabis marijuana program and hemp program. And 109 takes it to the next level and says, in Oregon, we're going to replicate what we have done for medical marijuana and we're going to apply it to psilocybin. And the, the idea behind Measure 109 is that it will give individuals in Oregon, which is a state that already has, you know, some disparate impacts amongst its population on availability of psychological care and help. And it would allow for the growth, cultivation, processing, and utilization of psilocybin in a medicinal form and establish a regulatory regime around it in much the same way that medical cannabis has, you know, with licensed physicians that can make recommendations, sales at the rec level, licenses for cultivation, licenses for processing. 109 is not simply a paragraph of a ballot measure. It is a complete and total regulatory regime that was passed by Oregon voters in November. It's extremely detailed. It's very comprehensive and it will need to be, uh, you know, basically an entire new segment and amongst itself. Yeah, we'll we'll have another episode where we'll go through in more detail everything that Measure 109 uh, encompasses. But I mean, I think for this, Oregon also passed Measure 110, which got a little bit more press because that decriminalized um, possession of certain narcotics, which maybe was big news for some people. Um, but this measure 109 seems to sort of be kind of just quietly coming in. Um, it's a two-year process, I think, as you might have noted, to really do some studies and figure out the regulatory regime. Um, but if Oregon's going to do it, uh, more than likely other states are going to be coming in, and this is going to be very similar, I would think, to kind of what we've seen in the state growth um, 
for the cannabis, both medical and adult use? Yeah, absolutely. There's the backers of 109, and uh, many folks in Oregon believe that 109 is going to set the the tone for how other states may begin implementing a regulatory regime around psilocybin. Important to note, though, psilocybin is illegal at the federal level. It's Schedule One. DA is actively enforcing against psilocybin, uh, mostly at the low level from what we've seen. There are companies out there that are rushing quickly in phase one, two, and three trials to get an approved medical use of psilocybin. What does that look like in comparison to this uh, question for the future? And decriminalization is not entirely novel. We have seen it in Denver the cities of Santa Cruz and Oakland, California have also decriminalized. Decriminalization is usually the first step in the way to a more comprehensive state level regulatory regime. But unlike marijuana, psilocybin does not have any real guardrails or posts or indications of what enforcement looks like except for the fact that we know that you can get a Schedule One license from DEA to test and research. There is no coal memorandum. There is no enforcement discretion. There is no real guidance that the, you know, U.S., that the U.S. attorney for Oregon can really go by other than their own enforcement discretion. So really remains to be seen what DEA is going to do here when this comes into play and also what the U.S. attorney in Oregon is going to do as well. And if this actually does spur a movement during the next election cycle to have more and more psilocybin legalization measures on state ballots. Yeah, I mean, this is just, I think, really incredible. And it's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, like I said, we've got we've got cannabis. We've got, you know, for both cannabis and psilocybin, the federal overlay where these are still illegal, you're gonna have a mix of various state law requirements and state regimes. And then for both of these things, there's lots of research going on out there and companies who are trying to use these products to you know, help treat depression or other types of medicinal or medical benefits that might come out of it. I mean, I think another interesting thing is going to be how our pharmaceutical companies and other companies out there may be trying to sort of get ahead of this and, you know, get a product through with FDA that's got that breakthrough designation, get that out on the market and see what that does for the competition. I mean, there's just a lot of pieces in play with both of these things. They're going to be super important um, going forward in the next couple of years. Yeah, and, and just as a, a side note also, I would not look towards uh, how the federal government has treated peyote for you know medicinal use within Indian country as any indication of what the federal government might do with psilocybin. They're both psychoactive. Peyote has a very different uh, case history and federal history than psilocybin, and peyote is not formally indicated for the treatment of any disease, all those derivatives of the molecule 
you know, have certainly been used in medicine, it, I would not look towards, you know, the use of peyote in religious ceremonies within Indian country to be any indication of how the federal government may treat psilocybin if, if that is, you know, being used to support for, you know, the promotion of this as a lawful psychedelic. Yep, another, another really great point and piece to think about. All right, awesome. Well, so we've covered a lot today. We've covered you know, new state laws in the cannabis space, talked a little bit about what's happening with the existing states, and now we've got this whole new regulatory regime to think about with another um, product, the psilocybin. I can't say it every time, the psilocybin. Um, so lots of neat things to talk about, and maybe we'll cover some more of these things in detail on some of our next episodes. So let's go ahead and just wrap up um, food for thought. What are the things that folks can take away from the things that we've just covered? We'll run through them real quick. Um, obviously, more states are coming on board with adult use marijuana, but like we talked about, it's really important to make sure you understand the state licensure and permitting process. Um, another really important thing for these businesses are federal and state banking laws and how is that gonna impact how you're running your business, how you're banking your money. Uh, definitely at the federal and state level, we're a little bit behind. Um, like you said, Bryce, cannabis and all things cannabis is not the same as hemp, which is legal at the federal level under the 2018 Farm Bill. We'll cover all things hemp on another one of our episodes so everybody can understand the differences there. And then lastly, psilocybin, which is a tongue twister, um, it's slow-growing mushroom. I think we're gonna start seeing a lot more come in with the state now that Oregon's on board and probably a lot of business opportunities there. Anything else? Yeah, absolutely, Kate. And before we forget, very important, everything you hear on the Edible Bites podcast is informational only. Nothing you hear on the Edible Bites podcast should be taken as legal advice in any way, shape, form, or fashion. We do ask that you please consult a licensed attorney before making any bold legal decision. All right. Well, that's a lot to think about. It's a lot of food for thought. We really appreciate everybody listening. And until we see you next time, you can noodle on that. Thanks.